on this episode of the Nature's Living Show, New Nudity Research. This episode of the Nature's Living Show is brought to you by Bear Oaks Family Naturist Park. At Bear Oaks, we offer traditional naturist values in a modern setting. Free your body, free your mind. www.bearoaks.ca Welcome, dear listener, to episode 148 of the Naturist Living Show. My name is Stefan Deschain. I am your host for this podcast and the owner of Bear Oaks Family Naturist Park. And today I'm recording from Bear Oaks, from my office, so um, it's not quite as quiet as my studio. I still have a nice little mic here, my Shure MV7, um, so the sound should be good. But in the background, you might hear people walking by. Uh, you might hear doors opening and closing. Perhaps you can hear some of the fan from the equipment that sits in my office here. So, I mean, I think I, I, I try to record where I can um, and uh, where it's convenient. But also sometimes I think the environment's important. And now you can sort of imagine where I am here. It is winter. It's uh, January of 2023 for those listening much later than when we post this. Um, but still, there are people here, and still there is activity. And uh, and of course, I'm always recording this close free. I, I almost always, there's the, the only exception I would interview uh, someone is if I'm doing it in a non-naturist public place. But almost always, I show respect for you, the listener, and for the philosophy and movement by doing it close free, even when I'm the only one around, because one of I mean, I like being that way anyway, but also I think it shows something, it shows some respect, and I, I'll do that even when I'm uh, doing uh, the editing, and uh, and when Samantha and I are uh, working, and, uh, and when she's editing, she's told me she does the same thing. Right, Sam? Absolutely, Stefan. It's the most comfortable way to work. Why would I want to wear clothes if I don't have to? So I apologize if there's any noise, uh, or but I'm sure I'm sure you'll hear and you understand me fairly clearly, and you'll understand why it's not a perfect studio environment. I don't live in a studio. I don't work in a studio. I will live and work in the real world. So I want to start by uh, talking about the uh, naked age. Uh, I don't know. You, well, you probably heard a little promo because it shows up in an episode if you are subscribing to the podcast. If you don't subscribe to the podcast, you really should subscribe because then all the new ones will show up in your podcatcher or there's an email. You can receive an email every time as well if you want. So everything's on the uh, main show website, or if you're listening to through a podcatcher or a podcast player right now, uh, there's a subscribe button. I'm sure there is that you can just click on. At any rate, so if you subscribe, you would have heard the promo for Naked Age, and that Naked Age has moved to its own feed. It's a fabulous show, um, which I'm sure you agree because you've heard it. Evan, Evan Nix is the person behind it, and he puts so much work in it. It is, uh, it is like a, a work of art because he is putting background music. He adjusts the tone to the, the what people are speaking about. He's a great interviewer, and he does a massive amount of, edit, of editing. Um, 
Certainly, Samantha does a ton of editing, too. I've seen it. But uh, I am sure that Evan spends 10 times more because he does these complex shows, and he does a lot of research. And the latest one, which is no longer in the feed of The Nature's Living Show, it's on its own feed. So if you want to listen to it, you have to go to nakedage.co and subscribe to that show, is about Shirley and Richard Mason of the South Florida Free Beaches and the Beaches Foundation. And it's a documentary. It's not just them talking. Evan has done a ton of research. It's fascinating. His love of history really shows in this. And uh, I really encourage you to go listen to that and to subscribe to the show. I also want to uh, invite you to follow his uh, Planet Nude blog uh, journal. I'm not sure what he calls it. It's planetnude.co. And uh, you can go right to that website. And he's given me a little promo because I asked him for something because he does such interesting little audio bits. So why don't we play that now? If you're someone who's ever wondered about the cultural aspects of nudity in art and the world, look no further than Planet Nude. At Planet Nude, we go beyond skin-deep discussions of nudism and delve into the current cultural, intellectual, and philosophical topics around nudity, exploring the way it's been used in art and activism, and the impact it's had in our lives today. With a diverse group of contributors, Planet Nude brings thought-provoking essays and art, uncovering everything from the history of nudism to the latest news. Join the community and be a part of the closed free conversation at Planet Nude by subscribing on Substack today at planetnude.co. See you on Planet Nude. And finally, I also want to promote uh, the New Nudist podcast, which we've talked about before with Scott Klein. Specifically, I really enjoyed episode 24. He did an excellent interview with Annabella Pollen, who wrote a book in the UK called Nudism in a Cold Climate, which is mostly photographic. It's worth getting. I have a copy of it if you, uh, and I, I would really recommend you getting one if you're interested in that. So, in fact, this interview was so good that I was thinking of interviewing her, but there's no point. There's no point in doing the same thing twice. So if you want to hear about Annabella Pollen and her book, Nudism in a Cold Climate, you need to go and listen to episode 24 of the New Nudist podcast. We also need to thank you, our supporters, for those of you who are supporting us through our Patreon donation, we really appreciate it. And uh, I'll let Samantha tell us who we're thanking very specifically today. This episode is brought to you by the very generous donations of Jason W., Brent F., Big Sky, Alan H., and David. Thank you all so very much. We really appreciate the support. It is so incredibly motivating. And to all of you who have continued to support us over the months, support me in the show. It is so incredibly appreciated. So thank you. And today's episode is about new nudity research. And specifically, it's about the work of Professor Keon West. I am sure that at some point you have read about some of his research. You may not realize that he has now done four papers on various aspects of nudity, of uh, naturism, but basically, he has done uh, some structured research where he had a control group uh, to measure uh, people's attitudes and how it cha- being nude, how it changes their attitude. I think most of us who are experienced naturists will say, of course, everything he's come up with is what we already knew. 
that naturism improves uh, body image, that it makes you feel better about yourself, that it improves your self-esteem, that it improves your satisfaction in life, um, that it generally makes you happier. We all knew this. We all know this because we've experienced it, but the outside world doesn't understand that. They think it's all about sex, of course, and so it's good to have an objective, academic measurement of that. And through his studies, uh, he has done a wonderful job of giving us evidence of that, which is tremendously helpful. It's helpful in getting some press out there, but it's helpful in showing people that it's not just something we're making up, it's not just a rationalization on our part, it's some real science, some truth behind all that stuff. You really should read these studies because they'll be tremendously helpful when you're talking to non-naturists. And uh, there'll be links to all of them uh, in the show notes, of course, on the website later on. So no problem, easy to find. But I really wanted to hear from uh, Professor West himself to really understand why he went there and what made him want to do this. And the answer was actually quite surprising. Professor West, welcome. Thank you for joining the podcast. Thank you. Uh, for our listeners, can you tell them a little bit about uh, who you are? Yes. So I am a professor of social psychology at Goldsmiths University of London. I've been in academia now for, well, it depends on when you start counting. Gosh, when was that? So about 15 years, I guess. Uh, I do research on a wide range of things, um, a lot on some kinds of bias and what we call intergroup um, intergroup behavior, intergroup contact, intergroup things. Uh, but I also have done recently quite a bit of research on, uh, in particular, body image, self-esteem, and overall happiness as it relates to participation in naturism and in similar things. And I think that's what people would be most interested in hearing about today. In this case, you're absolutely right. Um, and, and what led you down that path of, of research? Because there hasn't been a lot of research in recent, in the last few decades on yeah. that topic. Well, first of all, I'm going to agree with you on that first point, that there hasn't been a lot of research. Um, I think if you look at all the research for the last few decades, and you look at, I mean, there's a wide variety of things that you call research, but if you look at what I call the empirical quantitative research, uh, which is not to say that other kinds are not real, uh, but this is an important kind. Um, so if you look at the kind where you measure something, where you run an experiment, where you conduct a survey and you see who whose answers differ depending on what you do to them, that's very, very rare. But I'd say maybe, you know, you could count all of them and still have fingers left over for the past couple decades. And that's really quite startling. And more than that, if you go back far enough, it's really quite aggressively negative. So a lot of the research says, well, we're comparing um, you know, psychotic inpatients and outpatients in children, and we're wondering if maybe exposure to, nudis- to nudity is what accounts for some children being you know, psychiatric inpatients. And it's, it's, you know, it's really quite aggressive. And what's interesting is that even though a lot of that early research, which was sparse, had a lot of negative assumptions in it that, you know, if if you see anybody naked, then bad things will happen to you. You'll have uh, messed up mentality, messed up emotions. They couldn't find those negative things, or rather they didn't find them, but they would look for them repeatedly and they just wouldn't be there. And some studies even found the occasional hint of the kind of positive thing. And it wasn't until I think about the 70s or 80s 
where some studies started to move beyond the anticipate the negative, but then say, oh, well, accidentally, I guess we found something positive and started saying, well, maybe we'll just hypothesize something positive, which, by the way, is what good science does. Whatever you find, whatever the data shows, that's what you should adjust your beliefs to do. That's how science works. So I say good for them. And they started adjusting. And um, some research, particularly by Story in the, in the late 1970s and 1980s, started saying that, well, naturist families, naturist people, naturist children have these positive outcomes, um, some kinds of body positivity and self-esteem positivity. And then there's a huge gap where very, very little happens. And there are other things involving nudity as well, um, with very specific looks, but not involving the, the act of participating in, in naturist stuff. And that's really quite different. And that's where my research comes in. And it starts looking at, well, what happens when you take part in naked stuff? Not just seeing other people naked, um, which, you know, that's an interesting part of it. Not just doing something like attending a life drawing class, which, of course, is an important thing. I don't want to poo-poo that. Those things have their place. Uh, but a lot of the research around people who took their clothes off around strangers would implicitly assume something was wrong with these people or something was going to be wrong with them if they did that. And so there was a lot of negativity behind it. And my research just said, well, what happens when you do that? Let's test people. Let's ask them how often they did it and how happy they are and what their self-esteem is like, what their body image is like. Let's go to some events. Let's, let's ask people before the event and after the event, how do you feel about yourself? How do you feel about your body? And even once, um, let's have an experiment where we get together uh, a group of people and randomly split them in two and send half of them off to a room to be naked and half of them off to a room to be clothed and then see what happens, see which room is, is happier and has better self-esteem at the end of the day. And that's where my research comes in. Um, and then to answer your second question, which is why, why did I do that? So like I said at the beginning, my research looked at a lot of stuff. It isn't necessarily a lot of fun. Um, and I have been doing that research for a long time. And I think that work is really important to look at work on things like bias and prejudice and, you know, intergroup discrimination, intergroup contact, some things that ameliorate the situation. So that's good. But it can be a bit depressing. And so I guess I had a, a bit of a, a, a researcher's midlife crisis at some point where I woke up and said, I don't know if I want to do this all the time, forever. I think it's important work, but I would occasionally like to look into things that made me happy, you know, that you you do some research on it and you say, oh, well, look at this. All these people are feeling much better. All those people are happier. This is great. And I looked through a few options and naturism came up and I really have to, to put it to, to British naturism because we had a discussion where I said, well, look, you have all these claims on your website that naturism will make people happy in this way and that way and this way and that way. But do you have any science behind it? And Andrew Welsh, he showed up, you know, after I sent this email, he showed up in my office and he's a representative of British naturism. And he said, well, we're interested in what you have to say and we'll fund you to do some research on it. And I looked him in the eye and I said, Andrew, I'm going to publish whatever I find. And you have to be happy with that. But if I do the research and I find that naturism makes everyone miserable or it does nothing at all, I'll publish that. And there's nothing you can do about that. And he said, that's fine. We have total faith in what we're doing. I thought he was a bit nuts. I thought, how could anyone have such faith without the data? But turns out he was right. Um, you know, you run study after study and you just keep finding the same thing, that people who engage in naturist activities, they're happier, they have higher self-esteem, um, they like themselves and their bodies more. And it's not just a matter of, oh, it's, you know, it's reverse causation, um, because, again, the experiments don't don't allow that to be the case. But if you take people and randomly split them up and send half of them off to be naked, 
then the naked people get happier. And that doesn't make sense if it's just that being happier makes you more likely to get naked. That has to be that getting naked makes you happier. So in some ways, that's a pretty closed deal. And the real issue now is why does it work? How does it work? Who does it work for? Under what conditions does it work best? But whether it works, that's kind of settled, I think, at this point. It is. Well, it's an interesting question because there are a lot of factors. Uh, yeah. When you just take people with no experience and you split them up, then you have a you know it's very recent. The recency uh, is there, so so you could you know playing the other side. Obviously, I believe naturism <laughs> is fantastic, but um, you could say, well, you know, there's something new and that's exciting, and that's mm -hmm. why they're happy. They're doing something different. Yeah. Uh, does that same effect exist over the long term? Yeah. So I think that's an interesting question a couple of ways. I'd say the first part of the question, I don't think that would be a contradiction or an undermining of it. So there is research, um, mm -hmm. pretty good research, actually, showing that new experiences do make people happy, that just having a sequence of novel experiences will improve certain aspects of your personality, certain aspects of the way you interact with other people and make you happier. And so I don't think it would be that it's undermining the idea that naturism is happy, makes people happy, um, because I think if it's a new thing for people to do, then that's great. Um, I do think there's more to it than that, however. Um, so I think novelty is great. A new exercise program is great. A new dance program is great. And they all have advantages on top of being new, that they all do things that are good for you. And in particular, what the research seems to show is two things. Um, the first is a reduction in what we call social physique anxiety, which is the idea that people are evaluating us negatively. So a lot of people, when they think about being naked in front of a room of strangers, they get really quite nervous, really quite tense about that. Um, and a lot of that nervousness and tension is on the idea that people will look at them and think, oh, how, how disgusting. Oh, look at that bit there. That's that's too big or it's too small or it's too too wobbly or not wobbly enough or, or whatever else it is. And by participating in naturist activities, that goes down. And then you end up quite a lot happier with your body and then happier with yourself. And that the other thing that happens is that when you see other people, you kind of recalibrate what normal people look like, that we spend way too much of our lives looking at magazines and billboards and you know, big posters that say things like, are you beach body ready, that imply that you're not good enough as you are, and that there's a whole range of people who look much better than you. And then you go out and you see normal people, which is what you normally see at naturist events, just regular people who look an awful lot like you and you feel a lot better about yourself. And those two things seem to work together. It's possible that the novelty is a thing. And like any activity, um, including things like eating vegetables, one vegetable is very good for you. 20 has diminishing returns if you eat them all on the same day. But that doesn't mean you shouldn't eat your vegetables. Uh, you should still eat your vegetables. <laughs> yes. So... The uh, are you continuing this research? Do you have is it an ongoing uh, project? Yeah, so I am continuing it. Um, so the question, like I said, is where to go now. So with the the kind of you can keep publishing studies that say, oh look, naturism seems to improve body image and self esteem, but you can only do that so many times before the scientific community gets really quite bored, and they're not going to allow you to publish a hundred papers that show essentially or exactly the same thing. They can show almost the same thing, but you have to tweak it. And there are some questions that I've been trying to answer, some of which have kind of been answered. So does it work differently for men and women? So far, I found no evidence that it does. Um, as, as, along with other research, my research has found, um, and this is quite a lot of research, has found that generally men have 
um, higher levels of body image or better body image than women. But generally, overall, men like their bodies more than women do. And that's for a variety of reasons, including really quite aggressive societal things that tell women that they should feel bad about their bodies and don't tell us that much yet. Although I guess if you keep buying certain magazines, that will happen to you eventually as well. Um, but in general, men like their bodies more, but the effects of naturism seem to be very much the same for men as for women, which is interesting. Uh, there are other things that I've been trying to look at. So whether um, I haven't done this experiment yet, but I do have a thing in my mind that I, I really want to look at, which is whether you need to be around people who are like you in order for it to work. So I'll explain what I mean by that. So if you are, so let's say you're a man and I mean, that shouldn't be hard for you to imagine. You are a man. So that's an easy start. <laughs> and yes. you are doing nature's things and you're the only man in the room. Now, I know some people might think, well, wow, that's very fortunate for you, depending on which way you, you happen to go. But will that work for your body image is an interesting question. So you can't necessarily adjust your ideas of what your body should look like if you're not comparing yourself to other people with similar bodies. Do you see what I mean? That it doesn't matter how many yes. naked women you see, that doesn't affect what you think a normal man looks like and therefore doesn't necessarily affect how you feel about yourself. So is it necessary to be with like peers in order to get the benefits of naturism? Uh, a more subtle version of the same question is, uh, a lot of research shows that standards of beauty differ quite a bit across ethnicities. So, uh, and this is really quite, it's oversimplifying things, but accepted as an oversimplification, oversimplification. But in general, the ideal weight for the average white person is lower than the ideal weight for the average black person, which is that um, white people prefer their white women to be skinnier than black people want their black women to be, that the, the ideal weight is higher. So if you are then a black woman, will it help you to be in the company of white women at a naturist event? Or will you largely ignore what they look like because you were never using them as a standard anyway, you were using an entirely different standard and therefore, you have to see what other black women look like in order to see, you know, is, is my body comparing nicely to theirs or normally to theirs? Um, and I don't know the answers to those things. So far, all the naturist things I've looked at have been in mixed groups where all those effects would essentially just wash out because everyone's mixing with everyone. But I do think it's an interesting question that do we need to see people who fit our demographics or does it not matter? Can we just go and hang out with anybody and we still get the same effects? And I don't know the answer to that. And I want to know the answer to that. It's a good question because especially when it comes to uh, non-white people, they're definitely underrepresented yes. uh, in cultures where there's a lot of people who are not white. Yeah. Uh, the UK is one, Canada where I am is another, the US yeah. is another. Yeah. So why that is, is a question we keep asking and lots of theories. Yeah. Um, one of them is obvious. If you don't see yourself, you don't feel welcome. And well, yeah, so that, that, and that's a, a tricky problem to solve because you have to get over that initial hump of getting people in. Yes. Um, and then it also raises the question of if they came, would they get the same benefits out of it? Because maybe they're always using different physical standards anyway. And so they'd get maybe they get different benefits, but maybe not those. Um, so, you know, it, 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 I think it's an interesting and a meaningful line of research that it's important to know. Who does this work for and under what conditions? 
That is interesting. In, in terms of other research, I mean, I can think of a million questions yeah. of things <laughs> that we could we could research yeah. because there's so many things we talk about in terms of benefits. Yeah. But one of them is children. Yes. Um, I interviewed uh, for a podcast on children, yeah. uh, Mark Story, who teaches, you've probably heard of Mark Story, who is not related to Marilyn Story, yeah. who did all the research <laughs> you were referencing earlier. Yeah. They spelled their last name slightly differently. Uh-huh. But he said, you know, there was a raft of research on children in naturism, um, and then it stopped. And he says, yeah. under the current atmosphere, shall we say, in society, mm-hmm. that will probably not happen because you would get uh, pilloried for yeah. even suggesting that it's a possibility that it might be good for kids to be nude. Yeah. What are your thoughts on that? I'd say that uh, he's probably not wrong. Um so that is one of the things that I have recently tried to publish something on. And again, even before saying this, I feel like I have to preface this with this is purely just looking into the scientific research of it. And the design of the study was really quite simple, where you just ask people, um, you know, as a child, did you have any experiences of naturism or were you exposed to naturism or anything like that? And then asking them what they're like now. So what their esteem is like now, what they're global life satisfactions like now. Um, And then in another study, which is quite similar, you get dyads of parents and children, always mothers and children, just to keep it simple. And you ask the mother, you know, how they raised the child, including whether there's any naturism involved. And then you ask the child how happy they are and all that kind of thing. And if there was something negative about it, what you'd expect to find is that people who reported experiences like that in their childhood or mothers who reported experiences like that now should have children or should then turn into adults who are then less happy and something is wrong with them. And that isn't what I found. Um, So I I mentioned these things with some caution because, um, as Mark points out, and I think he's quite right, it's very difficult to get that reviewed, much less published. And people are really, really quite negative about it. They're negative enough that I have to be honest, there is a part of me that worries about the paper getting accepted anyway because I've seen some of the reactions online and they are so really quite aggressively negative Mm -hmm. and they paint a a really awful picture of naturists. And when I wandered into this, I wandered into this trying to escape all the negativity and prejudice research. I thought this was an easy, light, happy, happy, airy, fairy thing where we could just look at improving body image and self-esteem and everyone would be happy about it. And if they didn't want to do it, so be it. But now I've kind of accidentally stumbled into a world of people really don't like naturists, um, which is quite shocking, mm. and who really don't like them having anything to do with children, which is something new that I've learned about. And they have mm-hmm. online platforms and Facebook groups, and they are really quite negative. Um, and a lot of their concerns seem to be around child abuse or the potential for child abuse or something like that. Um, I'm trying to understand them more and more. But it, it is an interestingly tense atmosphere. And I think that's unfortunate because at the base of it, I mean, I think we should all just accept without any particular controversy, child abuse is obviously bad, avoid child abuse at all costs. That's just a bad thing. Uh, but I do think that it's, I do think, you know, not to, to use an, an overly, an overly literalized metaphor, but it is a bit of throwing the baby out with the bathwater, that mm-hmm. child abuse is obviously bad. And yes, lots of things potentially lead to child abuse. Um, school attendance, church attendance can potentially lead to child abuse, but we're not going to throw out churches and schools because these things can happen. We ask ourselves, what is the effect of the activity itself? And if the activity itself is overall positive, then I think you do everything you can to make sure abuse doesn't happen. 
but I think it's worth knowing whether the activity itself is good. At least that's that's kind of a my view from from a scientific standpoint. But admittedly, I never had any experiences of nature as a, as a child, and I've been fortunate in my whole life of never having experiences of abuse. So maybe I just don't understand why everyone's so up in arms. But I still think it's a scientific thing that people should look at. It, it, yeah, I agree. I mean, it's a, I could there's an obvious correlation between parenting and child abuse because often it's done by the parents. <laughs> yeah. Um, it, it, yes, it, it's it is throwing out the baby with the bathwater, um, and it's a. I understand it. I understand protecting children. It's part of us. That's why we've survived as a species, probably. Yeah. Um, but it's it's this misunderstanding um, because people don't understand naturism, and I will say. A lot of child abusers, when caught, defend try to defend themselves by saying they're naturists or nudists. Yes, I have seen that as well. Uh, yeah, that they say, "Oh, I was and, just doing naturism," which I I think they imagine is a plausible offense. But what it really does is paints naturists in a really bad light, and it lumps those two ideas together over and over again: child abusers, naturism, child abusers, naturism. And then you could see if you're reading that kind of media, people would get that idea. As uh, I, I'm a very big proponent of naturism, obviously, and quite public about it. And uh, the, the reaction that I often, no, not often, but sometimes get is, why are you wasting your time on this? It's kind of silly and pointless and it doesn't mean much. Your research suggests, and I obviously agree, that it does. it is a lot more than just running around naked. Um, but what has been the reaction? Have you been taken seriously by the general public and the academic community? Uh, so there's been a little bit of resistance in some quarters for both, but there's also been quite a lot of interest and support. Um, so there have been some people who've written in to say that they found the work very inspiring. There have been people who've followed up on the work with some work of their own, which I also really quite like. Other researchers who I've met and who I've spoken to who are writing their own papers and pursuing their own research on it, which I really do love. Um, you know, there's been some growing pains on my side. I'm I'm happy to admit it because science is an a, an effort of growing. It's an effort of doing things better, and I've had to learn a lot. So you know, like I said, most of my research was on things like intergroup relations and bias, and to shift tack very quickly, kind of mid career or even late career, some people would say, you you have to start again and you have to learn a lot. And there's certainly a lot of people who know a lot more about. Um, the fine nuances of things like body image that I don't, where I'm happy to just take a measure of body image that's been verified and run with it. And they say, well, you know, there's different nuances to this measure or that measure that you could consider. So I'm happy to change the research and to update it as we go. Um, but I think those kinds of, of critiques are good. I think they make science better um, so that each study has a slightly improved measure. I think that's a good thing. Um, or... Oh, did you hear a squeak? Should I start again? Was that a strange noise? No, that's okay. That's okay. just it's, it's not it's there, but it's not that important. Okay. So I think I think those are the changes that make science better. I think it's good that other scientists would say, I think you should change this measure. I think you should update that. Um, I think it's really good when people point out limitations, actually. So the first set of studies were just a correlational study and then some before and after studies. And they said, well, none of these have a good control group. And so because of that, you can't be sure that it's the naturism. And again, I think that's good because that spurs the next wave of research where you have a control group and then you find out science is a continually self-correcting process. So those, those criticisms are really good. There have been other criticisms which have been less interesting, less edifying and less useful. Um, and these are generally from people with 
really strong predetermined ideas who invariably have read exactly zero papers on the subject. <laughs> so they will they will write in, um, I can't remember who, there was uh, someone who wrote a column in some newspaper, probably The Guardian, actually, so it's interesting. Um, but it, it wasn't The Daily Mail. Interestingly enough, The Daily Mail, which is a paper I don't read a lot because I find a lot of their stuff to be really right-wing, and being an immigrant and a Black person, I don't really enjoy a lot of it. But um, they got my research completely right. Um, they just took what I said and they ran with it. Um, but other people who tried to comment on it would make mistakes. So the biggest and most obvious one was saying, oh, well, it's just a correlation. So it's probably just that people with higher self-esteem are more likely to get naked and not the reverse. But these people never read the paper. So they didn't read yes. beyond the first line. They didn't see that there were other studies that were not correlational studies. Um, so it's people who make criticisms like that, which show that they've never read anything on it. And that that I find frustrating because it's not new ground. It's not it's not saying it's not something that will lead to a better design for a future study, which I really do like and I really do welcome. It's something that leaves you explaining the same study over and over again. And that feels less like you're covering new ground and getting new knowledge and more like you're just repeating yourself to someone who doesn't want to hear what you have to say. And those I, I don't find it very interesting at all. No, and it's 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 a huge problem in society because I see it all the time. People commenting on headlines without having clicked on the link yeah. to actually read the the article, whatever it is, yeah. uh, even if it's just some simple newspaper article, headlines yeah. don't don't are not the story. Yes, that's exactly uh, right. Nobody has any patience anymore to read. It seems, um, and, and, and it's, and it's that's a little scary. Fine. Yeah, if people are busy, I understand that you're busy, and I also understand that, understand that a lot of scientists communicate terribly and make their papers impenetrable and impossible to read. But I am not one of those. I work really hard, actually, to make my papers readable. And I don't know if you've ever read them yourself, but I think people with no particular think, expertise yeah. in social psychology should be able to just read them, understand everything that's in them, even if they don't get the finer points of the statistics, they should understand how I arrived at the conclusions I arrived at. So I work really hard for that. So I, it is it is annoying when people then don't read the paper and make up crazy things about the paper and criticize the crazy thing instead of the paper itself. Uh, but what can you do? This is a, everyone has this problem. There is no scientist in the world who doesn't have this problem. So I know I will never be exempt from it. I've read your paper and I've read the articles uh, as you've also published in the blogs. Yeah. Um, but to be fair, I my undergrad was in psychology. Oh, okay, so. well, it's probably easier for you. <laughs> Also makes me more critical, though, and okay. I, I I thought it was well done. Oh, good. Uh, from that standpoint, yeah. um, and you like, and, and as we we're discussing it, you've thought about all of these things, so which I would expect. Yeah. Uh, but people, you know, are suspicious these days of academia. Yes. Um, and and to be fair, there are some academics who are not very ethical and don't follow the rules. So that's true. Yeah. Um, we, we, again, we shouldn't throw out the baby with the bathwater. No. There's bad people in every group. Yeah. But did anybody hit you with a criticism that, well, you were paid by British naturism? So, uh, yes. Of course, you're, so, you're pandering to them. Yes. So um, I do understand that concern. Um, in scientific circles, you have to declare any what we call conflicts of interest, which you probably know. Um, so if you were funded by an organization that has a particular skew on something or may be conceived as having a skew on something, you have to declare that. So I've always declared that in all the papers. I've always been upfront. That in itself isn't reason enough for the conclusions of a study to be invalid. And not all my work has been funded by British naturism. Some hasn't. And some that was funded was only funded to an incredibly small degree. I've actually had 
funding from other people, including from Goldsmiths itself, Goldsmiths University of London, to do some of this, because particularly when it started taking off in the media, they thought, well, this is nice. People are paying attention. Let's fund it some more and see where it goes. Um, so I'd say that I could see the criticism of, oh, it applies to British naturism or it's it's funded by them. So obviously you're just working for them. I could see that. Um, I know personally, I said to British naturism very straightforwardly, I will publish whatever comes out because that's my academic credibility on the line. I have to be able to publish things that are true because you can publish something that's not true once. You can do it twice, maybe. But eventually someone's going to try and replicate it. And when they do, if they don't find what you find, you now have a big problem. And no one wants to do that. When people do that and they put their reputations on the line with data that doesn't replicate, they are found out and they lose their careers. And that's not worth it. There's no paper that's worth that for. So I would never do that. So I've always maintained a very strict policy of British naturism. I will publish whatever I find, even if it shows that naturism makes all the children go mad and start killing each other. I will publish that tomorrow if it comes out. I've just never had to publish it. And I have to admit that you know, doing the research made me more of a believer because I think, I mean, you do research in psychology and I say, well, someone will try to replicate it and it won't work. But the truth is not everything replicates all the time. Even very reliable effects happen nine times out of 10, eight times out of 10, seven times out of 10. But this is incredibly reliable. And the effect sizes are sometimes shockingly big. And so when I look at it, I think, well, this is this is something. And it's a weird something that no one seems to be looking at for reasons I don't entirely understand. But in other circles, if you could find an effect that big and that reliable, you'd have hundreds of people jumping on it just wanting to, because I mean, big reliable effects are gold because you can mm -hmm. publish 100 papers on them. Um, small effects that only happen half the time or three quarters of the time, it's harder to publish papers because you know, a quarter of them go in the bin because nothing happens. So this is a gold mine, and I, I'm, I'm a little surprised that people aren't more excited. But to people who, who say, oh, well, it's just a British naturism, I'd say, well, get funding from the Anti-Naturist League or from the We Hate Naturist group, and then replicate. That's all I have to say about everyone who, who questions science, which is, by the way, a healthy thing to do. Question it, yes, but then go absolutely. replicate. Replicate 100 times. And if you get anything different, publish it 100 times. But I don't think that's what you'll get. I think if you replicate, you'll get the same thing. Question, yes. Yeah. Dismiss because of some sort of uh, gut feel that you have? Yeah. Uh, no. No, no. And unfortunately, that's what I see most of the time. Yeah, well, I think... Come on, even common the, sense, yeah. come on. Yeah. Even that, I think, could help. Um, well, no, not the dismissal because of gut, but I think the, I think healthy skepticism works um, because I walked into this, I think, in, a, in a, an attitude of healthy skepticism. That's why I was so cautious. I didn't want people to be disappointed. And I wasn't expecting what I found, but seeing it, there's nothing like doing an experiment yourself and seeing the results. There's nothing more convincing than that. And I am now really quite convinced because it just keeps happening. So there must be something to it or else why would it keep happening? So you, did, just for the record, did you have any experience with naturism before you started this? So very small ones. I definitely wouldn't call myself a naturist. I'm actually not even sure if I call myself a naturist now because there's a lot of meaning to the term. But I'd been on the occasional nude beach. Um, I, you know, I'd done the occasional kind of naked activity like that. But I think the two things happened at about the same time because I saw the really positive claims and I thought I'm going to do the research. And the research kind of forced me into a situation of taking part in more of it. So it's, I think, 
this is just me, maybe I'm wrong. I think it'd be really creepy to go to a naturist event fully clothed and hand out a bunch of papers and ask people to tell you about themselves and remain distant and aloof in that way. I, I think that would make me suspicious if I was on the other side of it. So I think it's only polite in that case to join people in the activities that you're doing. And the activities are often really quite fun. Um, so why not join in with the activities? So I'd say that since I started doing the research, my participation in it has really skyrocketed uh, mm -hmm. compared to my earlier life. Um, I think most people now, according to polls, say that they've occasionally been nude on a beach or topless on a beach or something. So that's, it's become quite a common activity, but they don't necessarily call themselves naturists. Um, but I think after I started doing the research, it just went up. And now I'm often on panels as a naturist, which I think is interesting. Um, so I, I guess you, what you identify as and how people identify you is, is a, a set of interesting questions. But I, you know, I think the, the events are fun. The activities are fun. The people are fun. Um, so why not? Why not do that? Well, I, and I, so let me suggest to you that uh, you may have some reluctance uh, to participate just because of the topic. Yeah. Because if you found a, another correlation as solid as this, let's say yeah. um, we, we, there's, there's a solid correlation that mustaches cause cancer. <laughs> for, for our listener, we both have mustaches. Yeah. You guys can't see me. Um, you'd shave your mustache tomorrow. Yeah. I, if I found something that strong about mustaches, I'd shave it. But I tell you, I have found other things like it. So a lot of my research has been on intergroup contact, which we just get people from different groups to interact. So you get a black person, a white person to interact and see how their racial attitudes mm -hmm. are, are afterwards. You get um, like a, a, a French person and a Belgian person to interact, to see what their attitudes are like afterwards. And that, those effects are incredibly reliable and incredibly strong. And so as you would expect, there have been hundreds of papers published on them just over and over and over again. They do it once in South Africa. They do it again in the United States of America, again in the UK. They do it with different groups of people. They're black and white. They do it with um, white and Muslim. And I know that those aren't the same and that white people can be Muslim and Muslim people can be white. But that's the kind of thing they do. They do a hundred variations on it. So when you find a good, strong, reliable effect, you run it into the ground. That's generally how psychologists work. Uh, so I think you're right. It's a good, strong, reliable effect. People don't seem to be as excited to run it into the ground. And I think it's because of the taboo of it, that they're just, yeah. they don't necessarily want to be attached to it for whatever reason. You said you were surprised that there wasn't more interest in replicating and running with the idea. Yeah. Uh, I'm not. Yeah. Uh, because I have, uh, you know, if you read the books back in the early 20th century, yeah. by people who've discovered this, who, it was not a scientific thing, but they recognized and they saw things mm -hmm that they never expected. And there's, they believed that it was so powerful that they were creating a new society that yeah. by some, in the future, uh, I remember, I forget which one, but there was one uh, author who said that he thought that uh, parliaments would be, uh, politicians would be nude in parliament <laughs> because it, it fosters a more uh, humane and more uh, respectful uh, discussion. Uh, and I, I, I think he really believed that, but he totally underestimated our, I don't know, I don't know what it is. Is it our body shame? Is it the, our need to uh, elevate ourselves with, with clothing, uh, with style? Maybe that would be an interesting research. I don't know how you would research that question. but well, uh, I think yeah. it'd be easy to start. So you'd want to look at two things, attitudes towards naturists, but also attitudes towards communal nudity 
itself mm -hmm. and then just look at what predicts it you start with the basics you start look at things like age and gender and nationality and that kind of thing who doesn't like it then you break it down by you know some more attitudes and beliefs so kind of politics left versus right wing um you know religion that kind of thing you probably find reliable correlations there and then you'd look into other things that might be predictive of why people feel that way and i think you'll find it's probably a lot of a big mishmash you know, it's a, a combination of a kind of prudishness and a nervousness and an anger and a, a sense of morality, however placed or misplaced, all sorts of things. But one thing I do think comes out of the research like that. I read another paper which framed it differently. And I'm, I wouldn't claim to agree with everything in it, um, mostly because I don't remember everything in it. So I don't want people to then say that I'm I'm endorsing it entirely when I, I don't remember everything in it. But it was framed really differently, and it's changed the way I think about it. And it's framed in terms of the right to be naked. And that, I think, is an interesting new take. And I think it's a take we understand for other countries. So right now, there's a lot of, a lot of Western support for the women of Iran um, who want the right to be in public without covering their hair. They want a lot of other things. I'm not going to minimize it to just that, but they want a lot of things. But that's one of the things they want, the right to be uncovered and without being persecuted or harassed or killed for it. Mm -hmm. And I think that's such a basic right. And it is interesting that you you move it down the line. So you know, we in the West who don't like covering our hair think everyone should have the right to walk through the streets uncovered in terms of their hair. And then in another country where people people might have the right to, so i know that in for example in new york women have the right to walk around without covering their breasts they can do that and they they shouldn't be arrested or harassed but in other parts of the country or other parts of the world people might think oh that's terrible and that's shameful but then you have to ask yourself well why why do we not have this right everywhere why do we not all have this right which is not to say it's an insistence that everyone must I think if you want to cover your hair or your breasts or your anything else, I think you should, um, because it's your right to cover yourself. But I think it was yes. Arundhati Roy who said that forcing a woman out of a burqa is as terrible as forcing her into one. And I do think there's something to be said for that, that forcing people mm -hmm. into clothes or out of clothes seems like a problem. And unless there is some negativity fundamentally associated with removing a head covering or a chest covering or any other covering, I think the right to not wear them should exist. And I think that's an interesting new way of looking at it. I, yeah, I completely agree. The, 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 it's, it's harm, the harm principle, right? We make laws, at least in most fairly liberated societies, we make laws to protect others and sometimes for ourselves, but mostly to protect others from harm. Uh, your liberty is, that's the limit on liberty. Yes. There is somehow an assumption that everybody... Nobody f really understands because it makes no sense, but there is an assumption that nudity is harmful. Yeah. That if a child, for uh, the worst case, is if a child sees nudity, what about the children? Think mm. of the children is always, a, yeah. and I've always, my answer is always, can you explain to me what harm comes to children when they see nudity? And people just look at me like I've asked a crazy question <laughs> uh, because, of course, it does. But I think that's why research like yours is yeah. really important. Yeah. And I, I do think that simply quantifying these questions is incredibly important and incredibly meaningful. I do think that people should be able to ask these questions. And if there is some harm, we also would like to know what it is. Um, you know, that would be great if there's quantifiable, detectable harm. 
then let's detect it and let's quantify it. And I think we always do this. We can do this with other cultures. So there are countries in the world where you could go and they would say, well, what happened? What would what would you think if your 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 seven year old son just saw a woman walking around in the street with their hair out? And we'd say, I, I don't think anything bad happens to them. What what's the bad thing that happens? And they would look at you like you were insane, and and they'd be worried about you, and they just they bundle their children together and they'd walk away. But we can't turn that gaze on ourselves and say, when someone else asks us exactly the same question, well, what's the harm that happens when your seven year old sees someone walking down the street naked? What's the bad thing itself? We don't have an answer, but we have that same sense of indignation and confusion, and then we leave. And I do think one thing science is really good at is getting us to see beyond our own cultural boundaries and to really examine our fundamental assumptions about what's bad, what happens, what negativity occurs, what positivity occurs. And at the very least, to force us to really sit down and define what we think will happen, to really be clear about that. And then having done that, to really measure to see whether it does happen. And I think that's incredibly important to do. I must say, I'm impressed with uh, Gold University for not just allowing you to do it. Yeah. I'm not sure if they can prevent <laughs> you anyway, uh, but funding it and supporting it with the press release um, about it, because it's a topic which is, as I, as I said, I think a lot of people see as superficial, not very important research, maybe, yeah. and also as potentially very controversial which universities seem to be shying away from controversy these days. Yes. Do you think your university is different? Do you think they would all be like that in the UK? I do have to give them some credit, um, as you have, um, in that they. I think Goldsmiths is more liberal than many. Um, so I think some universities tend to be slightly stuffier, slightly more right-wing, and so unlikely to want to do that. But I, I wouldn't give them too much credit i'll give them some but not too much um because you know a lot of it wasn't initially supported so heavily which is actually the case for most research you try something it might not work might not do anything you might not get any significant results they might not be published and even if they are maybe nobody cares so the university isn't going to put a lot of money up front into that they started putting some resources behind it when it became noticeable, when there were articles in the newspaper, when there was a Channel 4 program, when there was a, a BBC World Service radio program. And then they started saying, oh, well, this is nice. This is drawing in a lot of people, a lot of attention. And then it would be in any university's best interest to run with that. That I think any managers in a university who could see a research area exploding in popularity in the popular press and doing nothing about it would be terrible managers and they, they should be removed because part of their job is to highlight good research and to publicize it. Um, I do see that there is that potential controversy, and I have had some of that. Some people in Goldsmith saying, well, we're, we want to be really cautious about typing up this research too much, because at, at the time when I was doing some of it, there was, and this is totally unrelated to me, has absolutely nothing to do with me or even my department. It's nobody I even know or have heard of, but it was someone else in Goldsmith who had a student with an allegation of um, some kind of sexual in impropriety toward the student. And they said, we just don't want to do anything on naturism with that coming out at the same time. And that was the first hint that I got to how tightly linked those two ideas are in some people's minds, that this was somebody else in some other department who I'd never met with a student I'd never met. Um, 
on a topic that wasn't the same topic, but you know, there was someone who said, well, I'm not sure if this is a good time to really promote naturism-based results when we have this sexual harassment thing happening in another place. And I thought, oh my goodness. Um, and that was eventually resolved in some other way that of course has nothing to do with me. And I'd also say in Goldsmith's defense, although I, I do hate being the corporate defender, um, but instances like this crop up across universities in the UK and across many countries you know, on a reasonably regular basis. It's a sad truth of our society, but it's the way that the society runs. I wish it didn't run that way, but it does. Um, and so I do think we've made some strides, but I do think that there are still cases that will come up every couple of years all over the place. But what stunned me about it was how completely tangential it was to anything that had anything to do with me, how far removed it was, and how it still affected the perception of the research. And that was the first sign that people people really worry about it in a way that I, for some reason, didn't know about before and don't worry about now, but maybe I've had different experiences. It, if you go back a, a, a little bit, uh, probably not as much as it, we should have, yeah. if you had published a, a paper on uh, homosexuality and yes, there yes. was some scandal about pedophilia at the same mm -hmm. time, they would have probably made the same link. Yes, they would have done it, exactly the same There was a time where thing. the two were or link for whatever reason. Yes. Uh, I think that's completely so... true. And I think what you said really does parallel a lot of what's happening, that it's a group of people. And I think, you know, people at the time could say, well, what are you trying to say? All gay men are perfect, that none of them are pedophiles. Nobody's saying this. Everybody has groups of people who are evil or malicious in them. It is possible to be abused in all sorts of circumstances. But to draw the link to say that just because of their sexual orientation, all these people are evil or shouldn't be trusted or are dangerous or fundamentally connected to this criminal activity is, I think, dangerous, insulting, bigoted, and, and, and really quite scary. And I think in the total absence of evidence for that, I do worry about the kind of people who would say that. And, you know, I, I think naturism isn't as big a topic. It's not as political. So we don't have marches um, although I guess we do have things like the World Naked Bike Rides, but those are generally still perceived as fun activities with a couple of really angry people writing in the newspapers, but most people thinking that they're really quite fun. You know, if you're in a city that has one, most people, I think, do enjoy them. Um, so I, I don't think it's as aggressively politicized, but I do think the talk around linking it to child abuse, in the absence of evidence of that link to child abuse, I do think it risks being really harmful and negative to a group of people who aren't harming anyone. And that I think would be a really sad thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, um, I, it's, uh, however, I, despite the fact there's some people with very strong negative opinions, yeah. I've also discovered it's not as politically any way uh, divisive as I've th previously probably assumed a few decades ago. Um, you know, Goldsmith probably saw that in the, and I apologize, I said Gold University that's, earlier, that's okay. Goldsmith University, yeah. um, did, uh, saw that right-wing papers were not writing negatively necessarily about it either. No, yes, that's And true. I think yeah. the, the left side sees the social aspect, the social equality, whatever, the, the, the right side, it probably the libertarian aspect and the less control from government appeals to them as well. Yeah, the idea true. that yeah. we, sh we shouldn't be told what to do. Yeah. So, because certainly here at Bear Oaks, the, the nature's park that my wife and I own hmm. in Canada, the I have people from extreme ends of, of, of this political spectrum. I have fundamentalist 
religious people, uh, Muslims, mm. Jews, Christians, um, who all find it consistent with their beliefs. So, yeah, I, I do think you're right. That one thing I, I have been interested in and a bit surprised about is the wide variety of people who find this conducive to their own happiness, and the fact that it doesn't seem to fall neatly along, um, you know, political lines. You know, like I said, I. I'm not a, I'm more of a Guardian reader, you know, that's a left-wing paper in the UK, than a Daily Mail reader, which is definitely the right-wing paper in the UK. But when I was publishing the studies, the Daily Mail seemed to run with a very good, accurate version of it, and the Guardian ran with something that wasn't. And people on the left and the right find their own reasons to like or dislike it, but there isn't a cohesive, you know, political narrative like there is around other things like, you know, climate change or evolution or uh, critical race theory or all these things have set political things. You know what the right thinks, you know what the left thinks. Not so clear on naturism, actually. Everyone seems to be able to think everything. And personally, I think long may it stay that way. Once things get really politicized, um, getting an accurate representation of them in the papers becomes almost impossible. So I, I think let people read and make up their own minds. I think it's a helpful thing to do. Anything you want to tell our audience? Well, the only thing I would say, being the, the constant researcher, is if you have interest in it, either you know because you want to support the findings or because you want to discard them and throw them out the window, um, then by all means, please do fund the research. Um, of course, you're happy to fund me. I will always take your money and do more research. I think that's fantastic. Uh, but also fund other people who will try to run the same studies, either to prove or disprove, either to find the same thing or different things. Um, by all means, I think that's how we move forward. And I would love to see a world in which even people who are aggressively skeptical, I'd love to see a world in which they funded a hundred studies to test whether or not it was true, because then we could settle it and we could move forward. That's how science works. And I think that would be a great thing to do. So again, really, you should really go and read these four studies from 2018, 2020, 2021, and 2022. I want to read you the titles. They're awfully long, but they'll all be in the show notes on the show's website. And I want to particularly thank British Naturism for funding these re this research, for providing money to make it possible. Because part of the problem is if there is no sponsor, research is less likely to get done. And sure, if there's a, you know, a big benefit to some big corporation, they will fund it. There's a big benefit to this research to naturists everywhere. So the, the, the funding can only come from some of the organizations like the uh, British Naturism and other federations. So let me pitch you right now. Please support your federation, your national federation. Please get involved with them. You can support them by joining. That's easy. You can also support them by donating money. But in most cases, they need time, they need help, they need volunteers. So you can also really support them by getting involved. And if you don't like what they do, that's fine. Get involved and change it then. Because criticism is easy. Ideas are a dime a dozen. It's the execution that makes the difference in our world. So please get involved. That will be all for this episode of The Naturist Living Show. Thank you, as always, for listening. My name again is Stéphane Deschain. I'm your host for this podcast and the owner of Bear Oaks Family Naturist Park.
I make the show with a lot of help from Samantha Graham, who makes the task of editing all this and producing the show that is so time-consuming. She makes that possible and easier thanks to all of your donations and your kind support. The Naturist Living Show's theme music is called The Day We Met by Mark Hodges. Please support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash Show. one word. And remember, none of the money is for me or to support Bear Oaks or anything else. It all goes to supporting this podcast, and almost all of it in exclusively goes to Samantha so she can keep producing and editing the show. As I mentioned twice now in the show, you can find links to all the items I mentioned in the show notes on the website at naturistlivingshow.com. And please keep sending your comments and suggestions. We really appreciate getting them. We read everything we get, and we try to respond whenever possible. The show's email address is contact at naturistlivingshow.com. I hope you enjoyed the show and that you'll join us again for the next episode of The Naturist Living Show. This episode of The Naturist Living Show was brought to you by Bear Oaks Family Naturist Park, traditional naturist values in a modern setting. Traditional values means that naturism is more than just taking your clothes off. It is a life philosophy with physical, psychological, environmental, social, and moral benefits. Bear Oaks Family Naturist Park strives to promote those naturist values in a modern setting that provides the amenities and services that our members and visitors expect. Free your body, free your mind. Learn more at www.bearoaks.ca. examples of children who have been well brought up, the kind who grow up to be strong, healthy, and happy, like these young folks. Sturdy growth, joyousness, contentment in life, and vigorous health for the children of today will build men and women of tomorrow with strength of body, nerve, and mind, and thus a better chance to get the most out of life.